0: And a friend that was going to K2 that I had known for 30 plus years, met him here in Salt Lake as a very young person, he mentioned K2 and that there was a South Campus. It's convenient to the house. So I went and it was kind of cool. It's like good message, great music. This is perfect. I'm comfortable. And sitting next to me on the chair was that silly little white card. Asked where you wanted to fit in, where you wanted to be. And I looked at it, it was like, huh, security. I'll do that. I'm kind of big, I can be intimidating. I'll work on that. Put it in the uh, offering bag. Next week, there's that card. Pick it up again. And there was something in the back of my mind saying, fill it out correctly this time. And I didn't want to. So I just set it aside. This continued week after week and I started checking teens. The voice in my head was, fill it out correctly. And I said, OK, great, I'll fill it out correctly, but you can't make me do it in good handwriting. So I'm pretty convinced they got a couple months of really badly written cards. And you know, I was looking at this thing on teens. I have just finished raising five kids. I'm done. I don't want anything to do with teenagers. I'm finished comfortable this time's about me weekends to go skiing weekends to do what i want don't need teenagers fill it out correctly okay so i bolted out the side door as soon as it was over but there was a group of people that kept me pinned against the wall i couldn't get out into the parking lot and start striding well the the tent was there and carrie you popped your face around and asked if i wanted to work with teenagers and in the back of my mind, it's like, really? That's how you're going to do this? And the only answer was, okay, yeah, guess so. And that's when I started. I was determined to outstubborn some of the kids that were there and do this because it began to feel right. It began to feel like this was what I was supposed to do. This was where God wanted me. Quite frankly, I learned as much from the kids as I think they may have learned from me. Probably more.
1: Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart So the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and a deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, And you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, And when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery.
2: So it's August 21st, 1999, and life was good. Good. I finally found the woman of my dreams. I'm 34 years old, finally getting to wear my tux on this special day. We're sitting out at Susie's mom's house, 8,000 feet in Colorado, with the scenery all around us, and life is good. All my best friends drove from all around the country to come and be it, they're all lined up behind me, ready to start this great day, and it starts raining. And I'll never, I mean, and it started raining, like downpouring, like people were literally bolting from the chairs outside and hiding under the tent. And I'll never forget, man, I just sat down, I'm like, no, this is not how this is supposed to go, right? This is my special day. You can't do this. Well, it lasted really short and everybody went out, wiped all the water off the chairs and we went on with the ceremony, standing there watching your bride, all you guys who've been married, isn't it an unbelievable experience? Seeing your bride begin to walk down the aisle—it's fascinating. Her pastor, Glenn, was the one who gave us the charge for the wedding, and I'll never forget, man. He looked at us, man. He loved Susie so much, and he had tears of joy in his eyes, expectation, but also like a real sense of, a, like a weight, because he really felt like God had given him the words that he was supposed to say to us on our wedding day, and it was that passage that Rachel just read to us. And it was interesting because <clears throat> Susie had just lost her dad and so it was a really dark time in her life and those of you guys who've been around years here at K2, I've also shared with you that my darkest, one of my darkest times in my life was in California right before I met Susie. So both of us had come out of super intense times and he, but Glenn was looking at us and just saying, but good days are ahead. And so he read that to us. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and when you build fine houses and when you settle down, remember this word, when you settle down, it's really interesting. We're going to see this flow in, this, in the service today. When your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, be careful because then your heart can become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. This is really actually um, interesting to me because God is the one who's bringing them into this land. <laughs> he actually wants to actually bless his people with all this goodness. And at the same time, he goes, and I know this, as soon as I start giving you stuff that's really good, you're going to forget me. <laughs> and so what, I, what an enigma God must be in, right? Wanting to bless his kids and then knowing when he does, you're, you're just going to turn your back on him. It's crazy. And so I love John's story. Because in this season of life, life is good for John, right? He goes, I'm comfortable. This time, it's about me. <laughs> he goes, I'm finished raising five kids, right? Oh, I have weekends to do what I want. and I get to go skiing. So, you guys, here's our mission at K2. So that's what's happening today. Our purpose for gathering here today is our mission is we want to invite every one of you to go on the adventure of following God. And we want to equip you. So if if you're here and you're wondering, like, what is this Jesus thing all about? Well, we want to invite you, because it's an adventure. But the rest of you who actually believe you're already on the adventure, our mission is to equip you. We want to equip you so that you can really live out the adventure of following him. And so today... What we need to do equipping is to help us to know. So how do I really follow God? Well, when my life is going good. And, you know, and, and again, what does the scripture say? Be careful to follow. Be careful to follow. When life is good, you're going to need a faith that requires faith. All right? So let me pray for us. And I'm just going to ask God to bless and to speak to us. Uh, on on this issue and to equip us, all right? Let's do it. Lord, thank you for your presence today. I personally, I just want to thank you for such a great way to start off the day with your faithfulness. And so, but you're also super good, perfectly good. And God, again, I thank you that you know everyone who walked in here today, you love them. I'm asking with all my heart that you would make it clear today how deeply, passionately you love them. And how you, as a good dad to your kids this morning, just want to go, I want to help you know how to handle life when it's good. So, Lord, prepare us for that. Teach us things. Equip us. Just correct us. Do whatever you got to do so that we'll walk out of here feeling like, man, I know how to live life when it's good. And we pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I got three things for you today. When life is good, you gotta keep walking, you gotta keep living, and you gotta keep fighting, all right? You gotta walk, you gotta live, and you gotta fight. So here's the first one. When life is good, keep walking. So Deuteronomy 8.1 says this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase. Now, you guys don't miss this. God's going, the whole reason I'm doing this is I want you to live. Okay, this is the first thing you got to believe about God. He wants you to live. He wants you to increase. God wants you to live and increase so that you may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. And I just want to say, you guys, this was David. Okay, as we look at his life today, this man after God's own heart, he knew how to be careful when life was good to make sure that he kept walking. He was, that's why he was a man after God's own heart. So it goes on in verse six to say this, observe the commands of the Lord your God walking in obedience to him and revering him. So, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. How, how many of you have ever been, anybody in here been to Israel? Anybody been to Israel? Like, one. Okay, two. All right, we need to do a trip to Israel, y'all. What do you think? Because I heard that if pastors get people to go, they go for free, so it sounds good to me, right? So... Um, No, I'm serious. I have been. I I got lucky to go with my brother-in-law, who's a professor, a theology professor. And so I went with one of his classes. And I'm telling you, one of the most fascinating things in Israel for me was when you go into the desert where these guys were wandering for 40 years, which is right. He wants to take them into the promised land, but they have to wander in this desert. I can just tell you this, man. It is the most desolate place I've ever been on earth. I would have been complaining too. (laughs) But... After wandering 40 years, look at what God's saying. He goes, I'm going to bring you into land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valley and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey. He's like, I am landed on thick, baby. This is going to be a great life. A land where bread won't be scarce and you'll lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and you're satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Now, I don't have this as one of our applications, but what should you do when life is good? Praise the Lord, right? Like, that, that, like we just did, man. Praise God because you're good to me. But here's what he says. Be careful to keep walking. Be careful. Now, that word, be careful, it means to be watchful. It means to be on guard. You gotta be making sure, life's good. So as soon as life is good, we gotta go, oh, okay, life's good. Now it's interesting, and when life is good, to be careful that you keep walking. On Friday, I took my son Caleb up to a friend who is building a little ropes course in their, in their, in their forest. It's super cool. And so my son is into parkour. Like, you guys know what parkour is? <laughs> like, it's a super cool thing. He's, he's into it big time. And one of the things that they're, they're growing, is or growing, they're actually building it, Is uh, two trees about this far apart, and there's a post about this big around, and there's a cable. So the cable comes around the one tree, and then there's just this post about this high, and then the cable comes around the other side. And you're supposed to get on it, right, and walk across with nothing to hold on to. (laughs) Well, you know, I can tell you, I got on there, and as soon as I got on it, bam, I'm just off it. (laughs) I, I just, I can't even do it. Caleb, as soon as he hops on, because you know what I did? I got on it, and what am I trying to do? trying to keep balance, right? Balance your life, and then I'm, boom, I'm gone. Caleb gets on it, and what's he do, man? He's a parkour dude. As soon as he gets on the post, bam, 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 he just starts walking, and he gets right across it. He doesn't fall, and that's when I thought about that. I'm like, this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, when life is happening, you got to keep walking. Why? Why? Because Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does God want you to do? He wants you to live. He goes, but you live by keeping in step with the Spirit. So when life is good, okay, you must be careful to make sure that you're actually taking steps of faith. It's interesting. Faith in the Bible is always described as a walk. Okay, it's one step after the next step, after the next step, and it never ends. This is our life. We walk by faith. And so, and here's what's interesting. You gotta understand this. So when you have an opportunity, as this was saying, to be careful to actually walk with God, that means he's gonna ask you to take a step. Now, every time God asks you to take a step of faith, you have two options. You only have two, okay? You can either say yes. Or you can say, no. Those are the only two options. You either say yes to God or you don't. And I've said this here before, you guys, this is such a spiritual principle. You never stay neutral with God. You don't stay neutral. You, today, you are either moving closer to him or it's getting more distance between them. Because you're either saying yes or you're saying no. So when life is good, you must be careful to keep walking. You gotta keep saying yes to God. Now, why is this so hard when life is good? Because it's hard because everything that is good is crying out to you because if God is asking you to take a step, that means everything that's good is next to you saying, no, don't leave me. This is what actually satisfies you, satisfies you. All these good things that God has blessed you with. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. When God says, now take this next step, we go, but if I take that step, I might lose these things. And all of a sudden, without even knowing it, we've got attached to the stuff. And now we want the stuff so bad that we actually stop saying yes to God. So when life is good, the Bible cannot be more clear. Be careful, man. Be careful to keep walking, because if you don't keep walking, you will fall. That's just how it works. And this is who Jesus is, you guys. In 1 John 1, 6, it says, the one who says he remains in him, and if you say, I remain in Christ, he goes, then you should walk just as he walked. And the cool thing is, how did Jesus walk? He's the only one, right, who said, Father, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. He goes, I never do anything on my own, but whatever the Father tells me to do, I do. And that's how Jesus Christ lived, and he had an amazing life, okay? So the first thing that you have to be equipped in is when life gets good, be careful, because those good things are gonna start to draw your attention away from God. And instead, you gotta make sure you keep Walking, all right? Now, so Deuteronomy 8.3, says this. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. You don't live on just this natural stuff. You actually live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he says what? So God humbled you. Now, as we've been looking at this life of David, Did he not humble David? Like, big time. You're going to be the king of Israel. And then right after that, he goes into all this trouble and all this opposition. But he was humbling David so that David would learn that I actually live on every word that comes from God to me. When I walk in faith, David knew. He knew that he would live. So, let's look at that because that's the second point. If you're going to, when life is good, keep walking. And here's number two. Keep living. Keep living. Second Samuel chapter, chapter 7 verse 1 says this. And after the king was settled, here's the word again, right? So David's gone through all this horrible stuff, these great struggles. Saul finally is dead and David gets to be the king. And then the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, ah, this was worth it. This is living. Did anybody know that's not the Bible? <laughs> David, this is what's crazy. You would think, right? So David was like, "Oh my gosh, I went through all this struggle, and now finally, I'm the king and I get to settle in my palace. Yes, thank you, God. After everything I've been through, this was worth it. This is living. I can just tell you right now, that's how I would be. How, how many of you would be that way, right? Say, like, okay, thank you, guys. it's about time. Okay, look at David. This is why we're looking at his life and not mine. And I want to be honest with you, this is where he blows me away. Here's the real verse. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. After all the suffering, the years of fleeing from Saul, he finally receives the blessing of being the king. And the first thought that David has is he's going, How in the world can I be in a house of cedar when God's living in a tent? See, he wasn't thinking about himself. For David, and this is such a key point today. For David, living was not about his own experience of goodness. Living for David meant God getting the glory and not himself. This is how you live when life is good. He goes on later in the chapter to say this. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself? Now notice what David's saying is. God came and he poured all this blessing on Israel. Why? So that he could make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, Lord, have become their God. Now listen to this. Here's the heart of David. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. And again, if if you just stop and don't read the rest real quick. That's what I find in my heart all the time. Oh God, would you keep your promises to me? Right? Because I want a good life. So God, keep your promises to me. But look at David. He goes, keep your promises concerning your servant in this house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. And then the people will say the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. You guys, why is David the man after God's own heart? Because living for David meant seeing God's name get in the lights, and not his own. Real living was for him, for God, and not for himself. Now, let me just, here's an illustration. How many of you have seen the movie Miracle? How many of you guys have seen the movie Miracle? Oh God, are you kidding me? How many of you have not seen the movie Miracle? Raise your, oh my Lord. (laughs) What is wrong with you people? I'm serious. Like, okay, here's your application from the service today, right from the scriptures. You must go home and watch Netflix this afternoon and watch the movie Miracle. Okay, it's the story of the USA hockey team when they took down Russia. You guys, how many of you remember that? Okay, unbelievable. Like the greatest moment in US history, right there, right? Oh no, that was bad, but it's not. But, okay, but seriously, you need to watch this movie. It's fantastic. In the movie, I'm going to spoil one scene for you, okay? In the movie, every one of these guys that joins the USA team, they're all coming from their own schools, and they have to get together with people from their other schools, and they're all trying to make this team. Kurt Russell's the coach. He gets them all together. They go play a game, and they just get killed. They just completely lose horribly. So he looks at his assistant coach, and he goes, hey, after the game's over, I want these guys on the line. So they're all exhausted after a full game of hockey. They come to the coach and he goes, all right, you guys, if you're not gonna work during the game, you're gonna work now. He goes, on the line. And they're all like, are you kidding me? We just are exhausted, on the line. So he puts them down, the assistant coach blows the whistle, boom, they have to skate, sprint, all the way down and all the way back. Do it again, all the way back, bam, do it again. The scene just goes on and on, do it again. Eventually, the guys are laying on the ground, like puking. They can't even move. And it's dark because the lights aren't on anymore. And Kurt Russell goes, do it again. And his coach, his assistant coach, is like, he just shakes his head. He goes, I'm not doing it. He goes, do it again. And he won't do it. I said, do it again. And he just gets ready to put the whistle in his mouth. And one of the players goes, screams out, Michael Rizzioni from Massachusetts. And the coach goes, who do you play for? (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) Somebody saw the movie. (laughs) USA. And here's the line that that was fantastic. He said, until the name on the front is way more important Than the name on the back. We have no chance of winning. Until the name on the front is way more important than the name on the back. Can I just ask you a question? Who do you play for? Now, now in our here's the real question Who do you live for? See, David had the secret, he had a faith that was so much deeper than most people who believe because he actually lived for the glory of God and not himself. And if when life is good, what you have to do is you gotta keep living for the glory of God and not yourself. But why is this so hard? Because when life is good, it's like, man, (laughs) I like these blessings. I like having some cash. I like being able to, right? That whole list in Deuteronomy, right? You're gonna live in nice homes. Your cattle is gonna increase, but your cattle's probably not gonna increase, right? But you're gonna get more stuff. I like having stuff. I like being free to go on vacations. I I like this good life, and so before you know it, you're living for the name on the back. Now you're living for yourself when life gets good. That's what he said. You're gonna become proud, which means it's going to be about you instead of God. He goes, you've got to be so careful. You know why we become proud and forget the Lord when things are good? Because we don't need him anymore. (laughs) Well, you can say, well, what do you mean we don't need him anymore? Well, because we don't need God to make our life good anymore. (laughs) So if our whole purpose for God is to make my life good, and now life's good, it's like, cool. well, cool, I don't need God anymore. And this is what happens to almost every human being. So what do you need? You need a faith that requires faith. You gotta be like David who lifted his eyes above the goodness and said, what am I doing in a house of cedar? When God's in a tent, God must be glorified more than me. And I tell you, it really only is a person who understands the real purpose of our lives who can live really well when life is good. So what do you gotta do? Here's the last one. You gotta keep fighting. You gotta keep fighting. Because this is hard to do when life is good. So for David, you guys, you read his story. I mean, life is unbelievable, right? He's victorious, people love him. Everything he does is great. He's living in a house of cedar. Life is so good. And then you get to chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. And it says, in the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites, and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. It was time to fight, but David settled in, and he stopped walking. Now, can I just tell you, you guys know this, when you're fighting, you have super intense focus, right? When you're fighting, you've got energy, there's an adrenaline, and you give it everything you've got when you're fighting, but when you're not, when you're not fighting, right, now it's, you're kind of like looking around, and you're, you're, you're able just to be kind of laissez-faire with life. What do you live for when you're not fighting? So David was supposed to be fighting, but instead he stayed back and he settled in. So he's kind of wandering around and all of a sudden he goes, oh, life's good. She's good. And I'm the king. And I can actually get whatever I want. And so he calls his servants over and he goes, hey, that woman right over there, tell her to come to me. And the man After God's own heart, when he stopped walking and he settled in, he started entertaining what made him feel good. And I'm telling you, this is, and then it's just horrific, right? The man, the king of Israel, after God's own heart, would take a woman for himself, eventually kill her husband. The story spirals out of control. You know, a few weeks ago, I had this phrase in the scripture where Jesus says, "Watch and pray." And I, I just was thinking about it. I watch and pray. Watch and pray. And I'm like, "What does it actually mean to watch and pray?" So one morning I got up and I was just going to have my time with God, and I sat down, and it was one of those rare mornings. <laughs> Where I felt like the Spirit just spoke to me immediately and said, Now you just shut up and I want you to listen to me. And God started unloading on me what it means to watch and pray. To watch means to be super alert, okay? I mean, super sensitive. Like if you were a watchman back in those days, especially at night, your antennas were up and you were ready for anything that was negative anything that was, that was wrong. But at the same time, I think God was saying, not just the negative stuff do you need to be super attentive to, but you need to be super attentive to my voice. You need to watch and be prepared for when I speak to you, and then you pray. And as soon as anything is off or as soon as I speak, you pray, which means you get your heart aligned with me, and then you obey, and then you walk with me. And I felt like God was just saying, David, this battle's real, man, in this world. And you need to watch and pray. If David, a man after God's own heart, whose faith is so far beyond mine, can do this, can fail, you better believe that every one of us in this room can do it too. So you gotta watch and pray. And then I immediately thought of this book that I read last year called Extreme Ownership. It's actually, it's just a leadership book, but it was written by two Navy SEALs, two officers, who were in Baghdad, in, in Iraq, in the, in the worst part of Iraq. And what they realized was the leadership principles that they learned in Iraq could be used anywhere. So they write this book, and I'm reading it. Now, it's a fascinating book because every chapter, they start with a story of, of, of actual warfare in Iraq. And I want to tell you what, man. When you read these stories, true stories, here's what you realize. When a commander, when one of those guys gave an order, those Navy SEALs received that order, and if they didn't move immediately, what would happen? What would happen? They would die. Or they would ruin it for the whole platoon. They knew in such a dire situation that when the commander speaks, I immediately move. And, and I felt like what God was saying to me is, David, you need to understand this. You need to keep fighting. And the fight is what? What's the fight, you guys, for us? Paul said it to Timothy. He said, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Of the faith. And it's, you know what? We need faith that requires faith. When life is good, you and I, we get so duped by the American dream and all this kind of stuff, we stop walking with God. And as soon as you stop walking, that means you're not getting closer to him. You're getting farther away from him. Next thing you know, you fall off. And even King David can. And so you got to keep fighting the fight of faith. So 2 Timothy 4 7, Paul says this. He goes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, now thank God that David gets redeemed. And we're going to talk about this next week, and he can keep going. But you guys, are you still fighting? Can I just ask all of you guys who are actually followers of Christ, if you're Christians here today? Are you living the adventure? Are you living the adventure? Are you actually living out the adventure of what? Following God. That's what faith is. Or have you found yourself to be stagnant? Is there no energy? Is there no passion for him? Do you not find yourself wanting to be generous or, or desiring to serve or to give your life away? Has somehow it become just this, I believe, I'm a Christian, I have faith, but the good times have squelched my faith. we got to keep fighting all the way to the end. And here's what Jesus said. He goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work John 5, 36, Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. See, Jesus is the one who had the ability to fight the fight all the way to the end, to walk by faith all the way to the end. John 17, 4, at the very end of his life, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Here's what I know, man. I know many of you in this room, you love him. You are Christians, you actually do believe. But if you're really honest with yourselves, you know somehow the goodness of this world has grabbed your attention, it's grabbed your heart, and you haven't taken a step of faith with God in a while, a real one. And because of that, the adventure's gone. The blessing is not what you want it to be for you or for those around you. You gotta keep walking, keep living for his glory, not your own, and you gotta keep fighting. It will be a fight until the end, all right? Now, John's story captures this perfectly, okay? So let's watch this and then we'll close our day.
0: We were up above ship in that cabin. And I'd been thinking about this for quite a while. It had been put in the back of my heart. You know, we've got a lot of kids that come from good homes, that have good families, good support. Some kids, the support just isn't there. And then there's other kids that don't even get a first chance, much less a second one. And that bothered me. And I felt like we were being told that uh, we needed to provide that some way, somehow. Just this last year, um, things kind of moved in that direction and uh, Judy and I both wanted to get closer to our grandchildren and to our other kids. But in the meantime, that thought has always been in the back of my mind, in my heart. I was like, Judy, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna buy a chunk of property and it's gonna be totally away from any cell phone, Grid. I mean, the land that we have looked at, there is no cell at all, and the idea is we'll bring one or two teens at a time and show them love, show them what a family is, help them get their lives started, help them become productive people, give them a chance. A lot of people say they hear God through music or they hear God when they read. Um, I know I'm not schizophrenic, but I hear a voice. I, I hear, this is what you're going to do. Like I said, I said no many more times than I said yes. And I think that's the key to everybody. You say no, no, I'm not gonna do that. No, I'm not comfortable with that. No, I don't want to. No, for whatever reason. But when you step out and say yes, suddenly it feels 100% right. It just lines up, things fall into place. Case in point, we have put, for practical purposes, no effort at all into coming up with our move to Colorado. And frankly, I just told God, this is your problem. You make it work or it doesn't work. And the job lined up just like that I put no effort into that really, made two phone calls and that was all. Um, We made one trip to Farmington to look at the dealership. That's not much effort because we were going to go see the kids anyway. Um, The property that we've looked at so far, God has just presented piece after piece after piece in front of us and you know, you look at them and go, Just not quite right. You know, there's just something about it that's not quite right. But every time we look, the next piece is more right. You know, God puts God puts people in front of you that he knows you can impact. There's a whole world out there, but you can't impact the whole world, but you can impact one or two or three. And if you concentrate on that one or two or three people and make a difference in their life, it's worthwhile. If you're going to assume the responsibility that God puts on you for somebody else's life, it's not just for today. That has to carry forward. You you have to make sure that your responsibility is completely fulfilled, that that person can move on and be a productive human, a good human, a good person, and that requires that requires a, a system, and one of the best systems um, is a family. So if you don't have a really good natural family, what's wrong with a surrogate? I think God in the Bible really describes family units and how they're supposed to work and how they're supposed to stick together. There's nothing that said you can't bring other people into that unit. If you're going to walk a Christian life, you're going to have to gather people around you. Bringing people in that need help, that you're going to nurture, that you're going to bring up, perhaps there's a responsibility to make sure they're fed and that they're clothed and that they have a roof over their head. And there is that responsibility to make sure that they're set up for the future. But there's no fear in that responsibility. Like I said, it's God's problem. So
2: I love as John was saying, my life is good. Remember, he said it's time to settle. He goes, I'm finished, but he's not. See, the beautiful thing about John, instead of saying now life is good, it's about me. He actually is still walking. He's hearing the voice of God, and he's taking steps of faith. And because of that, he and Judy are living the life for God's glory. And they're going to finish, right? They're going to get done, and Jesus is going to look at them and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because they're fighting the fight, they're running the race, and they're going to finish well.